You're listening to the Sales Process Excellence Podcast with Michael Webb. Hello, this is Michael Webb with the Sales Process Excellence Podcast. Some people concentrate on sales and marketing. Other people concentrate on data, evidence, and logic. And in this podcast, we want to focus on the principles that enable people to pursue both. My guest today is Rich Peach, who's an independent consultant in Boulder, Colorado. Welcome here, Rich. Thank you, Mike. Could you tell us a little about your background? Sure. I was trained as an electrical engineer, and I joined a company called Applied Materials in 1987. And for 28 years, I was very fortunate to do a lot of different roles, make a lot of mistakes. But uh, at the end of those 28 years, I was uh, at a business degree, worked in quite a few places. But most importantly, I got introduced my last few years to someone who was uh, very well trained in um, executing Toyota production systems. And uh, a combination of all those things, using Toyota production systems is Sort of brought me to where I'm at now, doing my own thing. Okay. And so a lot of that background, even though you were an engineer, was in sales and marketing, right? Huge. 95, I started sales. So from 95 until 2016, I, well, all my roles were customer facing, but from 95 forward, it had to do with sales, marketing, business development. A lot of it was, the majority of it was in that. Okay, so can you tell us who this guru was, and what when you first, what was the time when you first started to realize, oh, this stuff, this stuff could really apply and help us in sales? Well, it was before I learned about Toyota production systems. That was actually in 1999. Um, I like to digest and read a lot of material, and I was leaving the states to go do a three-year stint in Singapore, and I started reading about this guy Peter Senge and learning organizations. So that's 99 is when I, so from 87 until 99, I was learning to make a lot of mistakes. 99 is when I came across Mr. Peter, Peter Sangi and learning organizations. So that's, that was my first taste. Okay. And, and why did it different. seem so valuable to sales and marketing? So uh, what I found is uh, most organizations are siloed when they get big. Um, was the case with the one that I helped grow. And when you become siloed, you, really don't understand other divisions perspectives and are you really learning so uh, i just closed a 345 million dollar deal that took me about six months and a lot of hard work and then i had to go execute it and i just saw from the company i worked for how painful it was sometimes to get things done and a lot of sales challenges or people think are sales problems have nothing to do with sales. It's other parts of the organization. So that was my aha because mm. I was living it. All right. All right. Uh, so then what happened? Well, in Singapore, I had to go. Uh, I went from closing a deal to becoming a general manager. And then I had to go continue to lead sales and marketing for that customer. But I also had to do service uh, support. We had to do um process engineering support. So now it's, you know, this group of people at about 55, 60 people. How are we working together and learning what works and that doesn't work? And that's once again where the, the whole Peter Senge thing 
sort of took me through three years in Singapore. Okay. Well, so you were just implementing it yourself from the book. Yeah, The Fifth Discipline, while I was trying to, it's a pretty thick book, but uh, I was trying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so then, um, let's see, we met uh, last year, probably about this time, yep. um, and uh, you had uh, sort of retired from uh, applied materials and you were looking for your next career. What What is it that attracted you to doing uh, the kind of consulting that you're doing now? Oh, I, uh, let's see, I left applied in 2016 and Probably from the late 2016 until, let's just say, about about a year, I started giving time back to the startup community of Boulder and Denver. And I was just amazed at looking at all of these wonderful ideas and how people were iterating and, and looking at how they're trying to start a business. But I was blown away on the lack of trying to have a systematic approach to go about their business because um, a lot of people have never scaled anything. So as I learned a lot about startups and all these different techniques of how they take an idea and try to test it and learn, um, I started giving inputs on how to scale. And when it came to sales and marketing, I just naturally sort of felt into this thing saying, wow, it's, there's some simple things you can do because I've got gray hair and if I can help you, great. And after I did that for about a year, I said, why don't I just see if I can get people to pay me money for it? So I started a company. There you go. <laughs> All right. So, so what are some of the, the principles, uh, the way you think about it, the principles that are most applicable? And can you tell us a story or two of uh, how they uh, created uh, ahas or, or, or great results for the people that you've worked with? Well, I'll share my three P's and my, my top five. So my three P's are when I look at any organization, I don't care if it's the Boy Scouts, you know, a church, a company that's trying to make revenue or a nonprofit. Uh, it comes down to three things, the people, the product, and the processes they have. So I've I've learned myself and demonstrated if you focus on process and systems, you can figure out if you've got a people or a product problem. So that's sort of my core. And then based on the things I've learned, especially a lot of it from Cindy, Deming, Toyota, uh, I call my top five. And my top five comes down to these. Number one is communication. Number two is are things clearly defined? Number three, are things extremely visible and measurable? Number four, it's all about waste. Are you really doing something that adds value? And number five is Peter Sengius, how is the organization learned? So I, everything I approach, I just look in those five areas. And typically, well not typically, every customer I've worked with and the, and the startups that I've mentored, one to all five of those things are things that they need to improve so they can start to scale. So, like, what's a typical first uh, issue or problem that needs to get identified? Just getting people to agree on what the problem is. So, what I do, uh, which you're well aware of, you were on one of my little five-day adventures, is um, I do something that over the course of five sessions or five days where you get a cross-functional team to start articulating the challenges they have 
and just the very first day, we get them to articulate items, group them to common areas, which we call an affinity map, do a simple little cause and effect diagram. And at the end of the day, their information, which is on post-its, which comes from cross-functional, which is extremely important, not just sales and marketing, but the executives, sales, marketing, product development, operations, finance, even legal if we want them in the room. Um, when you look at everybody else's perspectives, especially where someone is making an assumption that someone else didn't know about, it's amazing on how people just go, wow. So, yep, here's probably where you should start. Now, it's not the root cause. It's just where they should start going deep to look at root cause and seeing what they can fix. So this that one day, I've done it with many customers. And yeah. Well, that's very un-salesperson-like behavior, isn't it? Well, it depends on how you define sales. So for me, it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, what do you call it? A, I'm, a, I'm a systems guy who loves sales because sales is about fixing problems. It's not about positioning products. So if you really want to fix a customer's problem, to see if you can sell them something, then you learn how to listen. You learn how to look at different aspects of their business, especially if it's a complex sale. And if you start solving different people's problems in the business, you can go back to the business and say, wow, five people are part of this decision and I'm, I'm fixing problems for all of you. Maybe I can sell you something. So that's, that's how I define sales. And getting the details from them on what the problem is and the impact. Hmm. Interesting. So, Rich, you mentioned this five days that you work with clients. Um, that's interesting. Um, can you tell us, like, how does that lay out? What, is the, what do you do on each of those days? Sure. So um, I could do a one-day, two-day, or a five-day. So let's assume I do a five-day. Um, the first day of the five day is the same as the one day. That's just getting a cross-functional team together and having them articulate challenges that they have in their business. And a big part of that is acknowledging that they want to be somewhere else in the future, future state. So that's right out of Toyota. And when you get people writing things on post-its and not talking about it, but just writing it, and putting it on the wall, and then they talk about it. It's amazing how much people discover they didn't know about their company. And we just group that into affinity maps, do a little cause and effect. But throughout the course of the day, it's getting people to trust each other to to articulate what's on their mind. And then by the end of that day, whether it's the one day or the first day of the five, they have a pretty clear picture where they need to go focus. That's day one. Um, if I did a two-day, um, I would do a similar exercise, but instead of having a cross-functional team in one room, I would just go around their organization and do it more one-on-one -on -one with some assessments of recurrent systems. But if they wanted to do the whole five-day, um, basically the first and last day are the same. One is what I told you, the, uh, the affinity maps. Day five is how do they manage all of this? Um, how do you put this together and roll up and manage it? Something very visual. And then the days two, three, and four, it's uh, it's all about the different stages of a customer's life cycle. And there's you're finding customers, you're winning customers, and you're keeping customers. 
And what a lot of companies don't realize is to manage that life cycle, you typically need to segment the work and segment it between different roles and different departments. So typically the finding that's more around marketing, talking about your total available market, what is your personas that you're selling to, the problems that you're selling, the value you give them. So finding is all about who do we, we go after. Uh, the winning customers, that's, you know, how do you go and close new deals? So I usually call those the, from a sales perspective, those are your hunters, ones who like to win and move on. And then the keeping is more around account management. I call those the farmers. Who are the people that retain your customers and serve them? So that day two, three, and four is all about how do you do it today? Where do you see issues in that? And how can you identify areas to improve? That's the five days. Okay. And, and I, you know, this, this, I'm a firm believer in stealing what I can. So it's a great book called Steal Like an Artist, I think. Um, the Ryan Holiday, I forget the book, but many of the things that I do and other people like yourself are well documented in many places. It's taking what works and using it. So there's a guy I'm talking to right now, Michael Webb. He's got a great book and I stole <laughs> stuff from him. There's a guy in, uh, Italy that I worked with, Paolo Bertoni, had applied. He came from Johnson's Control. I stole bits and pieces from Toyota Production Systems. Um, if I use Jeff Toll, Managing the Complex Sales, one of the best books on, on how do you really manage complex sales. So I, I read a lot. I test things. I just try to apply things in a very pragmatic way. Um, so customers, customers can fire me any day. So day one, you don't get your value, don't pay me. Oh, you like what you have? Let's go to day two. Okay, so I'm very, very cut and dry. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so I know it's hard for uh, members of the audience to like think in these like process step terms. Uh, can you give us a, a like a a client example? Um, the pains the client was struggling with, and the transformation that they went through. Okay. Uh, I have a customer right now. Growers organic which is on my website. That was the first customer I did this five-day thing with because I was toying around with the idea. I'm not sure if you joined me on this. Yeah, you had me help you with that one, right. And uh, what was interesting there is very typical things. Um, Back to communication. That thing's clearly defined. Either visible and measurable. Those top five things I talked about, um, very common for a, a business most businesses that are below $25 million, um, they're, they're just, they're running and they're not sitting back and, and looking at these things. So um, we, one of the tools I use all the time is called the value stream map. And one of the things that came out is they thought they had to go get all this new sales. But after that, day, uh, we, instead of doing finding, winning, keeping, the second day we went into keeping, and we found out their account managers or their farmers we're spending a huge amount of time on RMAs. They weren't even selling. And it was it was visible. We didn't RMA, exercise. return material yeah. authorization, right. That's right. Product was getting returned and sales was running around trying to deal with that. But they weren't selling to customers. Just changing that and giving it to another department within 45 days, their run rate went up, I think, 30 or 45% within 45 days. I'm generating revenue. 
because right. sales was not doing a sales job. They were getting stuck doing something else. So, well, and a lot of companies, um, they, they find something that they can fix and then they go try and implement that and things go back to the way they were after 45 days. And we didn't have that at Growers Organic because we took this sort of different approach, right? We, we, we got the people who were doing the work to participate in identifying the problems and coming up with ways of solving it. And, and that sort of uh, was a new experience for them, wasn't it? Sure. Absolutely. Um, and so tell us about that. About how we got them to think differently? Yeah, and what uh, what it caused them to do. They I mean they changed their job descriptions on their own, and I mean they worked together to figure out who's going to do what. And that was something that they had had a lot of difficulty with earlier. Yeah, well, actually, when we got done, um, they had four salespeople when we started, and and one left a week later because one of the exercises exercises I do, and I stole this from Gino Wickman's book called Traction. It's called an accountability chart. So we made an accountability chart and we made it very clear who does what. And within a week, they had someone resign um, and the CEO thanked me because he said that person would have left on their own, but it would have taken a lot longer. So accountability chart is one of the things we did. Um, I did a customer qualification metrics on how do they define if they even want to call on a customer. We introduce call plans. You know, if you're going to go talk to a new customer and do something strategic, how do you spend the time to prepare for that? Well, there's loads of things that we did, and they they took bits and pieces and started implementing it. But they just did it in a more aligned way. They had a they had a they had a method on how to redefine processes and how to think completely different on what a system is. That's and all. so, what are the the uh, behaviors would you say that they've incorporated into how they manage themselves that are like hallmarks of the Toyota production system? Like like Kanbans. Kanban. They never saw a Kanban board until I showed up and now everybody in every office has a Kanban board. And 30, 30 second description of a Kanban board. Visualization of the work that you want to do. So you've got the backlog, you got the work that you're working on, work in progress, You've got pending and you got things that are complete. And what you do is you spend 15 minutes a day to get your team aligned onto who's doing what. And you typically only have people work on up to three things max and finish those before they take something from the backlog and work on it. Or if it goes to pending, they can move it to pending and then pull something else. But in, in very clear magic, limit. What's the magic? Uh, there's three things. Uh, number one, is uh, aligning on what has to be done. Number two, aligning on who has to do it. And number three, aligning on the priority. And if you meet every day, you can't say a week later, this didn't get done. <laughs> the next day you say, well, I'm still working on it. Okay, get it done. What issues are you facing? How can we help you to get that fixed? And it's, it's really about getting the group to move as a whole at the same pace, not having people sprinting in different directions. Well, and it's about making problems visible, right? So that they can be dealt with oh, immediately. Yeah, no, that's my, I said the 
think number one was communication. Number two was either clearly defined, and number three was very visible and very measurable. A Kanban board is extremely visible, extremely measurable. And it seems so obvious when you talk about it, but um, I mean, I have never in my career heard of a sales department that thought anything close to or did anything close to thinking like that. Um, yeah, most of them are taught. To, well, I think one of the challenges is is the industry is accustomed. It's a twenty billion dollar industry in the United States alone on sales training, and sales training is typically methodologies on how do you go and handle a customer, right? Maybe a little bit of how you prepare, but really, how do you deal with customers, which is extremely important, extremely important. But systems and processes. That's a whole different ball of wax. So I typically work with people on systems and process first. And then once they've got something that's working, they should pick a methodology that they want their people as individuals to learn and to grow on how to deal with the client. But, you know, systems and processes is boring. It takes time. Um, I could send to somebody some training once a year, the box is done. So it's, just habits. It's easy. It's big money. It's twenty billion. It's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this Kanban idea, you're really helping customers through their customer journeys, you know, individual by individual, customer by customer. That's what the salespeople are handling. And increasingly I think in today's world, um some of that gets handled on the internet. Some of it's just handled in software. Not all of it is done by hand. Uh, by the salespeople, which means Correct. other people in the company besides the salespeople have to begin thinking like salespeople. So, to your point, uh, one of the best books I've seen on this is from Jeanne Bliss. She's out of Austin, Texas. It's called Customer Experience Officer 2.0. And she's all about um, how do you clearly define the customer journey as a company? the way you want it, and you clearly define, and if you look at a customer life cycle, right, it's how do they know they have a problem? So how right. do they become aware that they even have a problem? Become aware of you. How do they analyze their different options? How do they decide on you? What would it like to be onboarded? You know, when you, for her, um, if you map that out as a company, and you might have different journeys for different products and services, but then you are, um, maniacally focused on that customer journey and you get all those different departments to clearly define what they do in each stage, which is exactly what you're talking about. And it could be somebody in marketing that's doing a digital marketing campaign on HubSpot to get attention to come to you, right? So mm -hmm. that's Jan Bliss's book is one of the best I've read on getting the company aligned on that and sales is only one part of it. There's all these other parts and until a customer starts referring you business, that's when you reach utopia. Because not only they come back, but they bring you more customers. Right. So speaking of books, I know that you're familiar with uh, The Machine by Justin Ross Marsh. Yep. Right. And he has a, a really nice depiction of the stages of a sales process that he breaks down. Um, and I'm guessing that must be similar to um, this customer experience 2.0. 
similar, um, but he is, you know, what's interesting about Justin is um, if you ever read the book, The Goal, yep. um, and uh, what's the gentleman's name who wrote that? Oh, um, E.L. E.L. something, right? Who wrote The Goal? Uh, Gold Rat. Gold Rat. E.L. Gold Rat. So what Justin does, which is great, um, but I think there's clearly things that many authors miss. That's why I read things. He's all about identifying the bottleneck, and he uses uh, Gold Rat's you know, theory of constraints, which is fantastic, but I don't see Justin talking about the other parts of the organization. Extremely sales-focused, here's the numbers, here's what we do. He talks a little bit about support, but I think if you took, if you read Justin's book, maybe first read The Goal on Theory of Constraints, read his book on identifying it, uh, take a look at Gian's book, um, you could even read Aaron Ross's book on how you can do cold calling 2.0. There's a lot of bits and pieces. I mentioned earlier managing the complex sale. To me, there's many layers that if you start digging deep, what do you take out as a nugget? And for Justin, he hits it spot on for theory of constraints. Um, and how do you measure that and quantify it? So I think he's very good at that. And by the same token, I agree with you. Um, there's some challenges in um, what he's presented there because he doesn't talk about how to get the organization to comply. It's sort of like, okay, we know what it should be, so we're going to just inject this change and expect people to comply. He even says in the book that he has trouble. I know. Uh, clients have a lot of trouble implementing, and I, I've talked to a bunch of companies where the process excellence departments are really, really good at thinking through and implementing the theory of constraints, and lo and behold, the process excellence department's biggest problem is that a year after they complete the projects, things have gone back to the way they were before. And yeah, so that's why I'm looking right now I'm at a customer site, and... To me, one of the best people on change management is Mr. Cotter, and he has an eight-step process. And I have mm -hmm. it right here on the board for my clients, and number one is establish a sense of urgency. This has to be important. Number two, create a guiding coalition that is empowered to make change. Number three, develop a vision and strategy. Number four, communicating the change vision. Number five, empowering broad-based action. Number six, what I think is the most important, is generating short-term wins. Everybody needs to see a bunch of little steps. Number seven, consolidating gains and producing more. Number eight, anchoring new approaches in the culture. <laughs> so I think if you were to take a look at Justin's book and then read Cotter's, you can see how you can start proposing change in a way that has tops down and bottoms up. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> easier said than done, but it certainly is interesting and companies, uh, they certainly need it. Um, you know, one of the things that I've started to do in my podcast here, originally it was aimed at management. Um, but I had a fellow from Italy say, I'm a sales guy. I've read your books, Mike, and I've used it to help me sell. Can I might have a story that you could benefit from. And so I decided to open up the the uh, uh, people that I interview to include salespeople because often from their point of view, not only can they see 
possibilities for applying this logic and you know this this way of thinking about things but they can also see um you know what's good about how the organization functions and what's bad about how the organization functions and executives need to hear all that they need to be able to um pick that up you know the faint little signals they might hear from someplace in their organization they need to be able to hear it and recognize that um changes uh, could come from unexpected individuals. Yeah, I call it getting out of your echo chamber. <laughs> so I find very, a very similar situation to really big companies and startup companies, and I call it the echo chamber. And the, ec the, uh, echo, the echo chamber is very simple. Just imagine if you were in an old well, you know, it's made of stone, and there's a little bucket with a rope, and for startup teams, I, I say, okay, here's the three founders. They get on this bucket and they go all the way down to the bottom of the well. And what they don't realize is that they're in a well. And everything they say, they think is a fantastic idea because all they hear is what they're saying. Right. <laughs> so I use the same analogy for big companies because sometimes the executives on top are, are um, um, buffeted or yeah. buffered from reality. So I just call it the echo chamber. You can get that and listen to reality and different perspectives, or you can just hear what you think sounds good. And, and a lot of it's not intentional. It's just, it's amazing as organizations get bigger and systems get more complex, um, sometimes you got to go out of your way to bring back a learning organization yeah. Yeah. to the culture. Improvement cannot happen without an explicit method of making it happen. Super. So we've been talking for a long time here. Uh, I really appreciate your uh, interest and uh, support here. How can our audience members get a hold of you? And do you have any recommendations for them? I mean, how could they contact you? Oh, it's easy. You can go to www.saleschefs.com. You can contact me there. It's my website. And S-A-L-E-S-S-H-C-H-E-F-S. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Sales like a cooking chef. Saleschefs.com. Okay. And well, they can read your book. You got a good book. So there's there's loads of books to read, and I'm just a big believer in trying to read as much as you can and um, take one or two, three things out that you think works and test it. You know, I've just been doing it for a while, and I was fortunate I had a lot of different roles in a big company, so I saw what it meant not to have cross-functional teams work together. And just had this guy in Italy, Paolo Bertoni, who showed up one day, and I went, "Wow, that's sort of cool." Florida, hmm, production systems. So I, I use, I steal a lot of things from that. Super. All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Thank you. The Sales Process Excellence Podcast is sponsored by Sales Performance Consultants. Discover how to improve your B2B sales with systems thinking at salesperformance.com.